you know what they could say? They could say nothing. That's always an option they never <laughs> choose to take. It's like, you could just keep your mouth shut. That's the option. Why do you never choose that option? Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the inspiration behind Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, my brother Mike. <laughs> I, I am not afraid to pull a weave or to gouge some 50-year-old Mormon lady's eyes out if I have to, okay? <laughs> to get what you want, to get the respect That's right. you deserve, That's I'll right. tell you what. The respect I deserve. I love the notion that it's Salt Lake City's the like least known and least popular of the franchise. I have to imagine. I know nothing, but what's weird is my partner only watches the Salt Lake City one. I, I don't know why. I don't know why that one's oh, particularly yeah. appealing to her. Nice. But nice. that's the only one she watches. And it's like, I don't get why all these people, why, why Salt Lake City was the place we had to go, you know, like. Uh, you know, there's probably something real practical behind it. Like the cost of shooting in Salt Lake City is super low. Because really, you can oh, find yeah, a group of that. people who are uh, fame-seeking anywhere. So like 50-year-old fame-seeking divorcees are you can like, find the, those or are I guess, dynamo. can they not be divorced if, to be on that? Because no, they're housewives. I'm guessing. I don't so they know. they have to be married? I guess. I have I don't no know idea. Either. But you can find those in Piedmont, North Dakota if you want to. I mean, so, you know. <laughs> hey, Real Housewives of Piedmont's going to be a banger, baby. Coming next season. <laughs> <laughs> on this week's episode, we'll discuss what was a rough week on the field for the Royals, interesting trades off the field, and how the Royals might fare in this week's slate of games. Mike, what do you do to cope with poor Royals play? I take all my coping advice from Bluto in the movie Animal House, right? You know, he looks at the guy and he says, That great, that great I recommend philosopher start- Bluto, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I recommend you start drinking heavily. That's yeah. kind of where I've always leaned on it, you know? And uh, and so, yeah, that that's that tends to be my go-to. It's not always my go-to, but sometimes it's my go-to. That no makes lie. it rough to be a Royals fan. Your liver's like, boy, I wish he was more like a Braves or a Yankees or a I wish he was Dodgers a Dodgers fan. fan. Maybe yeah. we'd be okay. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Just send, send the Royals your next sure. bill, your next doctor's bill, and be like, this is on you guys. Yeah. We'll start talking about the past week with the same things we always talk about for the past week, and that's the roster news. There was a ton of it this last week. People coming in, going out, getting hurt, all this sort of stuff. I want to start with the really interesting, I guess it's not roster news per se. Oh, it's a little bit of roster news. Andrew Benintendi was traded to the New York Yankees for three prospects, three pitching prospects. That happened earlier last week, but it's still like the headline thing from last week. We were calling for Benintendi to be traded in last week's episode, Mike. Benintendi... Michael A. Taylor and Whit Merrifield. Those were the three guys we identified as necessary trades at this trade deadline. The Royals got pitchers TJ Sikama, Beck Way, and Chandler Champlain. Sikama, a 24-year-old left-handed pitcher, pitched in college at Mizzou. Beck Way, some people think that Beck Way is like the um, centerpiece of this trade. It's not really clear whether it's Sikama or Beck Way. I have my own opinions on this. Uh, he's a 22-year-old right-handed pitcher, tall, projectable guy. And then Chan- Chandler St. Champlain seems kind of like a throw-in lottery ticket, 22-year-old at low A when they got him anyway. Uh, right-handed pitcher, big, tall, big-body guy. What do you think of this trade, Mike? Do you like the return? How are you feeling about the trade for those three particular prospects? Yeah, first off, the centerpiece thing doesn't really matter, but who you like of those two probably depends on more if you – 
how much you value ceiling versus floor kind of stuff. Beckway probably has a higher ceiling than what TJ Sikama does. Sikama is probably the more reliable prospect uh, in, in a lot of people's eyes. I didn't dislike the trade. I think the value that they got back is probably what you're going to get for six months or less than six months of Andrew Benintendi. Sikama, I like a little bit because he's got pretty good control so far. Um, he does have one pretty good pitch in his kind of slurvy slider. I've hear, heard some people call it a curveball. Some people call it a slider. I think of it more of as a slider because it's a real big sweep to it. But he doesn't throw very hard. His fastball is probably not going to play up unless he does something with it or he controls it really, really well. So I don't th- know that there's a real high ceiling there, but you should. And I think you mentioned this on Run- One Royal Way this week. It'll be very interesting to see how he does in double A AA and triple A as you start to find guys who maybe will lay off some of that off speed stuff and try and focus it on his fastball. But I do like him. And then uh, Beckway is I Beckway is one of those guys where you're always like, well, he can become a reliever if if you need him to. Right. If you need him to, he can probably he throws hard enough and there's probably still some velocity in there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, TJ Sigma does have some injury history as well. So that's a little concerning, but overall, I thought that was the value one. Usually I would say go with one quality prospect versus three longer shot guys, three lower level guys. I would have preferred maybe one guy who's a more advanced guy through the minors already, but you know, that's not what the Royals are doing. I understand why the Royals might not want to do that because their system needs depth and pitching no matter what. You know, if this ends up being the only trade they make, their system needs pitching, a lot of it. And so maybe they were like, okay, let's get go with the depth. Versus, and maybe the Yankees just weren't willing to give up one of those guys. For example, like you get three guys here who are in the Yankees system between 15 and 30, right? I think is where pretty much all of them were. Would you have rather had one guy between, say, 8 and 12, right? That's what I would go with the guy between 8 and 12 versus the three guys between 15 and 30. Right, but you do have to understand, and I think people need to understand that teams on the other side of these trades know that, and they would rather hang on to those guys as well. If you're like, hey, we have this one prospect who we think it's a 60% chance makes it to the major leagues and is a contributor, and we have these three guys who each one is about a 20% chance, they're going to stick with the 60% chance guy because it it does no good to have three dudes who only ever become triple a players or quad or quad a players or something like that. Those guys are pretty much useless. And so you'd much rather have the one guy who you think has a better chance of making it to the major leagues and contributing. Now, these three guys, I like Sikama as in my mind, he would be the centerpiece of this trade for me. Now, again, you're right. It doesn't matter who you consider the centerpiece of the trade. I like Sikama because I watched some film on him and I saw a dude who has really good command a dude who has real, two really good secondary pitches and his changeup and his slider. The slider is interesting because sometimes it looks like a curveball. So there are times, sometimes it looks like a cutter too. There are times when it's really hard to distinguish between it and what might be a curveball. And he, he doesn't really throw a curveball, but sometimes he'll throw his slider with more depth and is slower. And yeah. So and from different arm angles sometimes it, too. So, yeah, the guy is kind too. of funky. It's a real, yeah, he's a funky deception lefty. And he does that because he doesn't throw very hard, right? 89, yeah. 91 on that fastball is not going to, he gets some swing and misses on the fastball still, but that's mostly because he places it up in the zone really well. He gets guys timing thrown off with that changeup and slider. And then he sneaks a fastball by him up top. That's fine. I think he's all, unless he adds velocity in some way, he's always going to have to be a guy who 
has a real even pitch mix or, you know, leans heavily on his secondaries. He can't be a fastball dominant pitcher. He just doesn't throw hard enough. But a guy like Chris Bubich who, with a lot better command in my mind. And if he can hold on to that really good command, there's something about the Royal system that just makes them start walking people. I don't know what it is, but I hope he <laughs> avoids it because whatever they're putting in the water that makes people walk people, I hope he brings his own water to games or something because if he can avoid that, if he can keep that good command, I think he'll be a very serviceable major league rotation piece. And that's all you're really looking for. That's all you need him to be. And so yeah, I like Sikkim a lot. Beckway, I think has probably a lower percentage chance of getting to the majors, but like you said, also probably a higher ceiling on him. Unless he's a reliever, or he's got that, a pretty good chance. <laughs> right. At least, at, at least as a rotation piece, yeah. sorry, as a rotation piece, he has less of a chance to make it in major league baseball. But there is still projection in him. He you know, looks like he could put on some muscle. He definitely looks like he could fill out a little bit more, throw a little bit harder. And if you keep refining those secondary pitches and that command, who knows, Beckway could be a piece that ultimately sticks in a rotation and has a pretty high ceiling. The Royals have shown no ability to develop those things in starting pitchers. So we'll see. But maybe they change their their uh, pitching development regime and things change. I like the trade because they got what they needed to get, which is starting pitching. And so hopefully they keep focusing on that as they move forward and try and trade other pieces like Whit Merrifield and Michael A. Taylor. We'll see on that one. The other sort of big roster news of the week is that Salvador Perez came back off the IL and started playing again this week. He started in this uh, Yankee series here. It was a little fast. It was a lot faster than, than they said it would be. They said initially it would be a six to eight week injury. He came back in four weeks. We know the Royals have a history of rushing guys back. I'm a little worried that he's back. I know he's played well since he came back. Mike, how do you feel about the notion of Salvador Perez being back? This reminds me of that, um, I don't know, if it, like a gif or whatever from The Simpsons where Mark McGuire steps up and Bart Simpson's like, hey, what about steroids? He's like, hey, who wants to talk about that? Let Instead, who wants to see some dingers? <laughs> That's like, nobody wants to talk about Salvador Perez and the fact that he came back too soon because he's already started hitting jacks, right. including the now one that like, won yeah. him the game today. What, what do you mean came back that. too soon? He's fine. Um, and they've always said with him, he's been a guy who gets injured, but they've always said he comes back sooner. I have no idea if there's any medical evidence that actually supports that or if he just comes back still kind of hurt and plays anyway. I don't know. But it, it was good to see which him back of those, in there. Which of those sounds more likely? He's a medical marvel <laughs> or he just always comes back before he should, you know, like, yeah, and I sometimes I, it backfires and sometimes it doesn't, you know, like yeah. that's probably how it works. No comment on that one. Um, just keep yeah. hitting dingers. Okay. Uh, it was good to see him do that though, because even before, I guess right before he got hurt, he was doing a little bit better, but he was struck. He struggled this year. The times he's been in, he's mostly struggled and we need him hitting dingers. We need it. And so we need uh last year, Salvador Perez back and, and doing those things because the guys in front of him are going to be on base more. The guys around him are going to help produce more. We really need his big bat in the middle. And he, you know, he still catches a great game, although it's not what it used to be. It's still the best option we have at, behind the plate, honestly. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see him hit. Yeah, uh, hopefully he stays in the lineup, stays healthy, can can be that power bat that he used to be. Because you're right, the lineup around him is now a lot better than it was last year. And so if he gets a chance to hit balls out of the ballpark with guys on base like he did today, when he hit that home three run home run to take the lead for in this end of the Yankee series, then yeah, he's a very valuable guy. I hope that that's the case. I hope that he stays healthy, but I still worry, man, because how often can a dude just always, you know, come back early from injury? It seems unlikely that that's 
the case, but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is a, a medical marvel. He's Hayden uh, Penitieri from that uh, show. Heroes. Heroes. Thank He's you. He's the cheerleader. He's, He's the cheerleader. The cheerleader. Yeah. Save the cheerleader. Save the world. Cheers for his teammates. Yeah. Um, <laughs> While, while Perez came off the IL, a couple other guys went on it, uh, or at least Angel Zerpa, Angel Zerpa, sorry, uh, was brought up uh, to to play a to start against who, who did he start against? The Angels. The Angels. Yeah, we yeah. went to that game. Starting the Angels series, pitched pretty well for about four innings, and then ended up leaving with a leg injury. He was placed on the 15 day IL with that hurt leg, so obviously he was out. Uh, eventually, uh, John Heasley came back from the injured list made one start, and then he was optioned to AAA, and Carlos Hernandez was brought up from AAA. So there's been a lot of movement in that uh, in that starting rotation. A lot of shell games going on. Heasley did not look great in his start. I mean, he looked healthy. Didn't get a lot of help either. He was throwing the ball hard. <laughs> didn't get a lot of help from his defense or his offense or really anybody. But, you know, uh, it was good to see him at least get back in the rotation, look healthy, throw hard again. Emmanuel Rivera was also optioned to AAA. He, despite the fact that he's been hitting really well lately, um, he was optioned to AAA in part because they refused to put Bobby Witt Jr. on the injured list. He hurt his hamstring uh, or in that game in the Angels, one of the games in the Angels I think, series. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And instead of like putting him on the IL, they just kept him active. I guess because they thought he would come back sooner. He rested for about five or six days. They've been DHing him the last few days. I think it's clear that he's actually not fully healthy. That's why they're not playing him at shortstop. Yeah, and watching so, him try and leg one of those out at first was rough he just today. It was the same. Yeah, and I'm like, why would you ever do this to your most valuable commodity? Why would you ever not let him just heal fully? Just put him on the ten day, even if he's there a couple extra days. What does it matter? It doesn't matter. Get him fully healthy. They're gonna play games with his health. Terrible idea, but hey, they don't pay me to make these mistakes. They pay Mike Matheny to do it. On the field was not a great week this week, which we kind of knew it wouldn't be. We knew that the Yankee series was going to be really tough. We kind of expected them to do well in the Angel series. They didn't really. They went two and five this week, which brings their overall record to 40 and 62. They did have some strong performances this week. I thought Brady Singer pitched really well. Mike, tell us how that went uh, in his amazing outing against, who was it? It was against the Yankees. It was against the Yankees in that ballpark against that lineup. It now seems like he can be the guy to build around in this rotation. Now, if you take it by itself, it's fantastic. Seven innings pitch, one hit, zero earned runs, 10 strikeouts, and one walk. But coming off the perform- the last performance he had where he struck out 12 and looked fantastic as well, he looks like he has taken a step forward. And part of that is because of the changeup usage that you and I have talked about a lot. He's throwing his changeup about 10% of the time, which is not a lot and it's not a great pitch but it's enough right now, but his command has taken a step forward. It looks like, especially with his two seamer and the two seamer was unreal in that Yankees game. Uh, It was so good to see. And if you can, he's not probably ever going to be an ACE as they kind of say in, in major league baseball to have his ups and downs, but he looks like the kind of guy you can really lean on in a rotation as far as, you know, movement of pitches, Seems to stay somewhat healthy. Um, You know, if he doesn't get into his own head and implode, he's the kind of guy you want to build around because he made that lineup look silly, look really bad. Yeah. So that, and that's the best lineup in baseball probably. So unbelievable week from It's a good lineup, but it's not the best lineup in baseball. Well, who is the Dodgers? I mean, eh, they have the MVP. They've got guys that can all put it out of the park. Yeah. Flip a coin. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, here's the thing about Singer that I think is uh, something we could consider at least. And that is that what if the changeup is actually helping him with his command? And here's why that might be the case. Previously, you would see him pitch and you knew he had two pitches and you knew that he knew the batter he knew he only had two pitches. And you would see him on the mound sort of trying to be really fine with his slider or his two-seamer because he knew that those guys knew one of those two was coming, that they were sitting on a pitch from him. It seems like all of this has sort of taken a burden off of his mind and he feels like guys aren't anticipating the pitches he's going to throw at this point. That will actually encourage you to put the ball in the strike zone more to be less fine with your command. And if you're trying to be less fine, you're actually more spot on with that command. And so I think part of this is just like a psychological relief for him to like, let it off his mind and say like, I can just go out there and pitch throw two seamers, throw sliders, throw changeups when necessary. But I know guys aren't just going to be sitting on these one pitches that I have. And it's just really, really helping him tremendously. It's great to see him have the command to really go out and dominate. The last two starts, he hasn't needed the changeup very much. I'm of the mind that he should throw it a little bit more than he does currently, but that can wait till next season too, as he sort of refines that change up in the off season. It has taken a step forward. It was probably a 40 grade pitch when he came back up to the major leagues. I'd say it's about a 45 grade pitch right now. If he can bring it to 50 grade by the, in the off season, look out, we have a new pitcher on our hands and you're right. He could really be the bedrock on which this foundation is uh, built. And I like that. I'm talking about another pitcher this week, a guy who in the bullpen, who has really been resurgent as of late, that is Taylor Clark. He went uh, two innings uh, this week, almost uh, today, two, both both today. today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> went both today. And he just really shut down that Yankees lineup in the eighth and ninth to get the Royals their only win of this Yankees series. Two innings, one hit, one strikeout. I'm really giving it to Clark this week because one, there weren't a ton of standout performances this week. And two, it's a cumulative award. He's pitched really well lately. And I, I really attribute it to the fact that he has three pitches that he can use effectively as a reliever. I think that's huge for him. His changeup, first off, he throws like 98. His changeup goes like 91 or 90, which is really interesting, but it has enough movement. He locates it well enough, and then he throws his good slider in there. Those are three pitches, and it's, again, pitcher, hitters can't just sit on whatever pitch is working that day if you throw three of them. Okay. And that's been huge for him. I think he was getting away from it earlier in the year where he was just kind of trying to lean only on his fastball and slider. Now he's mixing that change up in more. I think it's really working out for him. Great to see Taylor Clark. They might move him in the next couple of days. He's that was my thought. I think we haven't talked about him traded. a lot, but I think teams are going to want him. If, yeah, honestly, I think they're get, they're certainly getting calls about him. The question is, do they want to move him or not? Makes sense to move him. He was on a one-year deal, I think. So might as well move him if he's being effective. Uh, maybe you see him packaged with Whit Merrifield or Michael A. Taylor. That'd be nice. Um, but whatever happens, I think uh, good on him for rebounding after a rough stretch there earlier in the year. Another guys who've been on some rough stretch, at least in the last seven days. Mike, tell us about a hitter who makes a little bit of money and is not really pulling his weight this week. Well, Hunter Dozier had a rough week. He did hit the home run today, but he went two for 22 with two home runs and five strikeouts and no walks. And Hunter Dozier, because he plays a substandard defense, he played third today. And the part of the game that I saw, he played okay. He played pretty well at third, but he'll never be the guy that's going to get to a lot of balls. He'll never be a defensive asset anywhere you play him, really. Maybe at first, but probably not even there. And so he's got to hit. And two for 22 doesn't uh, doesn't cut it when it comes to that, especially when you think of, of the guys in your lineup. He's one of the most expensive, if not 
the most. Well, I'm sure Salvi's more expensive. He's not. He's but, not the most expensive. Uh, Wit is probably close. Yeah, I'm not I'm even not sure. Exactly but sure, but he, he makes um, more than a lot of the, the other guys. Expensive. So. It, yeah. yeah, we we need uh, we need him to hit more. We just it just has to be done, and that doesn't even take into account like is he a guy you would trade? He just has to hit more if he's going to get at bats more. He's going to keep getting at bats. He's got to hit more. So, question is who would take that contract? Who would say like we'll take on this dude? And it's not a he doesn't make a ton of money, but he makes way more money than his value and, and his production. Don't take yeah. that on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because there's no projection for him. He's 31 years old. He's never going to get any better defensively. He's probably never going to get any better offensively. He, this is what he is. And the Royals paid too much for it, frankly. And now they're kind of just stuck with that contract. I think you really got to transition him to a bench player. Once you get somebody like Michael Massey up once, once there's just not any room for him left in this lineup, make him a bench player for you. Let him hit against lefties sometimes. And that's it because they just have way too many of his type of guy, like first base DH type, who can only hit maybe a 750 OPS, that's not going to cut it for you. And he just doesn't provide enough value defensively. Yeah, and Uh, it hurts him a lot that Nick Prado and MJ Melendez can both play the outfield better than he can. So, Yeah, (laughs) it does. Um, Not that it helped. I mean, they were always going to be the preferred choice anyway because they're younger. There's more you know, projection in their bats. There's more ceiling for them as hitters. And so, yeah, that was always going to be the case in some way. I'm talking about another guy who doesn't have much ceiling left, and that's Whit Merrifield. Uh, he's my weak performer for the week, right when we needed him to kind of not be a weak performer, to shine for us so we can start sending him to another team. Whit comes out and goes five for 28. He does have three doubles, but two walks and four strikeouts. He also made a key defensive mistake in that third Yankees game. Ball bounced right off his glove. And so not a great week for Whit. Hopefully they're shopping him to other teams. Hopefully uh, the Dodgers are interested. The Braves are interested. Whoever's whoever wants Brewers. a second baseman or an outfielder Brewers, well, whoever, hopefully Whit Merrifield is on a uh, next week when we're doing our show. Hopefully Whit Merrifield cannot be the week performer because uh, <laughs> I think his time should be up here in Kansas city. I think they can, should get whatever they can for him. I'm not even the type of person who's like, Oh, if they're not getting value, if they're not getting his value, they should just let the deal go. Nope. Not at this point. At this point, they take the best offer they can for him because after this year, it's it's over for him. Like you're ne- you're getting nothing next year, and so just let him let it go, let it go, get what you can, and move on. Yeah, and I mean honestly, I don't want to say like he's earned it because I don't know that guys really can do that. But has he? If there's been a guy in the last six years other than Salvador Perez who's earned the opportunity, and Salvi played on those teams that were great, that's earned the opportunity to play in the postseason. It's been Whit Merrifield. Send him to a team where he can play in the postseason, and before he's done, because he he may be you know he may be out of baseball in four or five years. You know, you you got to imagine he will be. I mean, he doesn't have the type of approach that allows some but some players or hit the ball hard enough, and or to have the approach that allows some players to play deep into their thirties. He's not going to take a lot of walks. His bat is only going to slow down from where it is. I think like, and his legs are going to slow down too. So he's going to lose value as a defender and as an outfielder as well. So, you know, that's the clock is ticking for Merrifield. If he wants to play playoff baseball, they got to get rid of him. I'm talking about something that has really frustrated me for my theme this week, watching that Yankee series, watching that angel series. All I could think to myself is the little things aren't little. They aren't so little. Watch that Yankee series and you see a team that was leading in the second game going into the eighth, made a bunch of defensive mistakes or and and cost themselves the game. Made a bunch of like made three errors in that third game that really just ended it for them. 
You can't make these mistakes, base running mistakes, defensive mistakes. You cannot make these mistakes. They're not the, catching the ball, throwing the ball. These aren't the little things. They're the things that make you win or lose. Salvador Perez, MJ Melendez, sales balls over the third baseman's head. Michael Garcia, I have no freaking clue what he was doing on that pop up. Did you see that? <laughs> I did. It did was. You, see that you were play? sitting right next to oh, me. Oh my lord! <laughs> oh yeah, we were sitting right next to each other. He drops this ball that's like right in his glove because I don't know what he's doing. Like reading the New York Times, watching his. I have no clue what he's doing, but he's just sitting there. The ball pops right out of his glove, and I'm like, "What the?" Now I'm not super surprised if you've watched Garcia in the minors. You know that he has lapses in focus. He sometimes doesn't make the routine plays he should make. That stuff can't happen. If you're going to be the Royals, if you're going to try and compete against a team like the Yankees, that cannot happen. Especially for a guy like him. He's a glove first guy. <laughs> like that's his thing. I know. You think you're going to hit enough? Mikel I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people like, making mistakes like he that? looks okay offensively because he's hitting a few, he's hit some singles in this series. He looks okay offensively, but I don't know if he's going to be good defensively enough. That's his thing. Defense is his thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be, but I'll tell you, he's one of those guys who slick fielding, Good range doesn't necessarily make every play that he should. And so he needs to get on top of that. But generally speaking, the Royals just need to be a lot better at doing those little things. Consistency. You cannot make those kinds of mistakes and, tr and, and plan to beat teams like the Yankees. They're too good. They're too talented. You give them an extra out. They're going to put, put a ball out of the ballpark. You give them an extra 90 feet. They're going to drive that run in. You know, you can't make these kinds of mistakes because Every time you do that, you give them an out on the base path, whatever, you're just nailing your own coffin. Yeah, and this mine's getting somewhat of a negative theme as well this week, and it's too little too late. And that applies to several different things. That last win in the Yankee series was too little too late to save a good week for the Royals. Um, the But the thing that really kind of does this for me is something I brought up on Twitter today, and that's this. We're, we're going to go into the last few days before the trade deadline here, and what we don't really talk about, what you and I have never talked about is the longer you wait to trade those guys, the less valuable they become for a lot of reasons. We've talked about a couple of them. One we haven't mentioned is new teams are going to start realizing they want to be sellers. And as more players get added to the trade market, that will make your players less valuable because there are now alternatives, right? So if you're trying to trade with Merrifield and this team needs a second baseman, well, now that the Giants and the Red Sox are, are selling players, you're competing with those players that can play second base on the Red Sox and the Giants. So by waiting and waiting and constantly doing that, it's going to be too little too late. So if we end up trading wit, you have to know whatever value we get back is less than what we could have last week. Okay. And so mm -hmm. um, we've talked about how waiting for, you know, half a season or a season or two or three seasons to trade guys minimizes their value. So does waiting here at the end. And so that I just wanted to bring that up because you're going to see guys from the Red Sox and the Giants get dealt and we're going to be holding on to guys and it's going to be painful. Yeah, that, that I just can't fathom how the Royals could get to this point where they would let that happen. You know, uh, they could have traded Benintendi a month, month and a half ago. They could have traded Michael A. Taylor anytime in the last month, Whit Merrifield anytime in the last month. Yes, it would have mean it would have meant playing guys like Michael Massey or, you know, 
backup guys who may, or maybe even like Brewer Hicklin and guys who you don't really project to be major league regulars or whatever, it doesn't matter. You're already out of contention. Sign a, sign some bullshit free agent, some guy off the streets to come play <laughs> second base for you. It doesn't matter because you're getting the most out of the value that you have. If you trade those guys before the market gets flooded with second baseman or outfielders or whatever, you know, like it's just, it's one of those things where Dayton Moore doesn't realize he's shooting himself in the foot or maybe it's JKJ J. Piccolo. I don't know. Whatever the, the Royals don't realize that they're shooting themselves in the foot. You heard that statement from JJ Piccolo when he was like, Hey, we're happy that our guys, all the guys we have left have more than one year left on their contract. We'll hold on to them if we don't get what we want. Well, that's just the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Like, yeah. I think, just, what yeah. are you saying? Are you trying I to think that's what they have to say? Big, big time. I think that's what they have they to say don't, though. I think they I think they, they think really they don't. have to say that. I think they think well, like, they hey, think they we'll have hold to say these, it, they, we'll as, do it. We'll do it. We'll hold them. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> don't you the Polish hostage to, man to hold like, these guys? They're just like we will do this. We will give ourselves no value. We don't care. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's like it's nuts, right? Like it's just you know what they could say. They could say nothing. That's always an option they never choose to take. It's like, you could just keep your mouth shut. That's the option. Why do you never choose that option? Oh, oh it's, 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 it's crazy to me, but you know what? Good on you. We'll see. We'll see if they end up trading Merrifield. It is J- J- Sunday, July 31st at 7 30 PM. Two days. They have two days, <laughs> two days, not even two full days. They have all, almost two days to uh to trade Whitmerfield, Michael A. Taylor, or we're calling this a failed trade trade deadline. We'll see. Call that's a threat, Royals, right there. <laughs> we'll call it, we'll call it failed, damn it. <laughs> Don't make we us. We will call it failed on you. <laughs> it's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. That's YouTube, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, name them. If you use it, subscribe, rate, and review us in whatever way you can. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike gets all of his self-esteem from our subscriber numbers, so help him out. Help him feel better. He's got a rough life. He's got a kid who cries all the time. He doesn't cry all the time. deal with other kids. <laughs> Shut up. We're trying to get people to subscribe. He's got to deal with these 14-year-olds all the time at school. It's rough. It's, he needs them subscriber numbers. So come on, hit smash that subscribe button. It's free. It takes about half a second, but it helps us tremendously. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. We post a ton of additional analysis, commentary. We live tweet a lot of games and get real snarky and post gifts and stuff. It's a lot of fun. Uh, join us on all those sorts of platforms and uh, learn more about the Royals from us or just have fun, you know, being snarky with us. I'm going to come over there and smack you. You call my kid cryy again. All right. I will crawl through this computer screen. In this week's spotlight segment, uh, it's time to look at a, at a group that has frustrated and puzzled many Royals fans the entire season, the starting rotation. We're going to talk about them today. Why? Because they've been pretty good since the middle of June. Led by a resurgent Brady Singer, the Royals staff has been ninth overall in ERA in the last month and a half at 3.84. Their fielding independent pitching has been roughly middle of the pack at 4.17. And their walk rate, their walk rate is still super uh, high. It's still last in the league, but their strikeout rate is 17th and their ground ball rate, 44.3% is good enough for 10th in the league. 
Mike, I guess the question that really comes to mind here is how long should Cal Eldridge's <laughs> extension be? Don't do that. Don't you dare do that. What are we okay? thinking? Uh, what are we thinking? Five years? Lifetime? <laughs> uh no so none of these here's the thing that gets me about that like okay you maybe you even give uh cal eldred credit for some of the steps forward for Bubich looking a little bit better with his fastball command for singer becoming this uh, a new guy since he you know since coming back those guys have been here for a while <laughs> like why weren't they doing that in april then <laughs> okay so why were they doing it last year? Yeah, like, like, no, you can't be like, hey, well, you know, he gets a lot of credit here for this resurgent Brady Singer. We had to send him back to AAA. <laughs> like, no, no, that's not happening. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm, I'm not I'm not on the I'm not starting the Cal Eldred continuation narrative, which I don't think anybody else is either, except for maybe the Royals. Yeah, the Royals, I'm sure, would want us to push that narrative, you know, um, which is interesting because. We are, I think, at this point, past the point of no return with with Cal Eldred. Like, there's just no way you could look at what's happened and be like, "Turns out he was a good pitching coach all along." Yeah. You know, like, no, it, it that's nuts. Like, he even if even if you say well, you can't say this because I don't think it's even close to true. But even if you say he's the one responsible for making Brady Singer what he's been, he's the one responsible for Chris Bubich getting a little bit better. He's the one for Brad Keller stabilizing. Even if you could say that. You would then also have to say that it took him this long, and that is inexcusable. It's inexcusable as a pitching coach. It cannot take you that long. If it takes you that long, you're screwed all the time. So he still has to lose his job under that sort of logic. I'm going to put logic in quotes there because it's insane. Because it's not logical. I'm also just waiting for that. You know, there's sometimes like that one loan. There's some people out there who will defend the team no matter what they do. Like they're sort of like, and I get it. Good on you. I guess you're a true supporter, you know, like, but they will like defend them tooth and nail. Like you're not allowed to say anything bad about it. See, Cal Eldred is doing great. You know, it's like, I don't know what you're seeing, but okay. So I just wanted to anticipate that and be like, listen, doesn't matter. He still deserves to lose his job. Honestly. Um, seriously though, let's, let's dig into like actual stuff about the rotation. Why do you think the rotation has improved from earlier this year? Seriously, if a guy's going to get credit, Dane Johnson gets the credit. Okay. Because fair. Brady Singer went down, worked on the changeup, got better, came back up, and was a different pitcher. Chris Bubich went down and came back up and looked a little bit better. It, those are the two reasons why. And I guess Brad Keller has stepped up just a little bit, but he's still really inconsistent. The Those two guys are the reason the rotation has looked better. But I think... And, and we'll, I think we'll, we'll kind of get to this in the next question, but I think what that means, what you can look at, what you can kind of squint and see then is a rotation that may not be as far away as we think it is. And I'll get into that a little bit more later, but it might be that we're not super, super far away, but I think Dane Johnson should get some credit for that stuff. Yeah. Dane Johnson certainly deserves some credit for that. I think if we look at like why that's taking place, the num the overall numbers are shifting, I think primarily because singer has come back and has looked dominant. So one out of every five spots in your rotation has now taken a giant step forward in terms of the numbers. Anyway, Chris Bubich has taken a little step forward. So that's two spots in your rotation. That look a little bit better. Granky has gotten that's 40% of your rotation. rotation, (laughs) Keller has stabilized a little bit. That's another one. Granky was hurt there for that stretch. And that was always really tough on the Royals because they're cycling through sixth and seventh starters who spend most of their time in Omaha. Like it, it's been tough in that regard, but when he's come back, 
Now he looks a little more stabilized. They've just stabilized in some ways that make sense. Singer's the only one we could say looks like he's taken a significant step forward. Bubich, the book is still out. I'm just, the walk numbers haven't gotten that much better for, for Bubich. And so that is what scares me. And the strikeout numbers have just not been that good all year. And so if you're still not striking out that many guys and walking too many guys, I wonder like, will the home run rates come back to normal? And he starts, you know, the numbers then start looking less good. I'm still not sold on, on Bubich's resurgence here. Um, but it is nice to see that Singer's taken the large step forward and things have stabilized at least a little bit. The question I think we really got to look at, and the thing that's really holding this rotation back still, uh, why are they still walking so many people? Like that is the thing. They're still dead last in walks. And, you know, while they, maybe they've made a little bit of progress, it's the one thing that is really holding them back. Yeah. So here's the, the bad thing. I don't know. Okay. But worse, the, maybe the much worse thing is obviously they don't know either. Like, and that, that's, the, <laughs> that's really the issue there. Right. I can have my speculation. I, I think it's because a lot of their starting rotation has marginal stuff. They're not fantastic. You know, Brad Keller's stuff is marginal at this point. Zach Greinke's stuff is probably a little below average. You know, Chris Bubich's yeah. stuff is, is marginal. He's got one plus pitch in the changeup other than Brady Singer in their rotation. Their stuff is pretty meh. And so when you have it that way, you don't like to challenge guys in the zone. And when you don't like to challenge guys in the zone, you walk people. And that's just how it goes. Because when you start challenging them in the zone, you miss by a little bit, it's gone. And so, yeah, I think that's it. And then I think a lack of understanding what to do when you are up in the count allows a lot of guys back into at-bats and then that means if you allow, you know, that's more of a numbers game. If you allow guys to get to, to three ball counts, you're going to walk guys. And so they're allowing way too many guys to go from 0 and 2 to 3 and 2 and 1 and 2 to 3 and 2 and not putting away hitters. And that maybe goes back to marginal stuff as well. But those are kind of the couple reasons that I that I think. But they don't really know. That's the real issue. They don't understand why they're walking guys. And or they don't understand how to fix it. One of the two, because they're not fixing it. It's not really getting any better. So, yeah, we know that for sure. Otherwise, they would have fixed it by now. Right. Like they've been walking Mm -hmm. guys ever since Cal Eldred became pitching coach. And so it's not a coincidence that every time somebody like John Heasley is the perfect example. It is not a coincidence that John Heasley had a walk rate under two guys per nine, under two walks per nine innings in AAA this year, came up to the majors, and then it was over four guys per nine innings. That is not a coincidence. It cannot be a coincidence. Statistically speaking, it cannot be a coincidence that every guy who gets into the major leagues for the Royals has a fairly low walk rate in AAA, and then boom, it explodes when it gets to the major leagues. Happens every single time. And so that has to be related to something that either – is different about major league hitting and it could be a stuff thing. Their stuff doesn't play as well in the major leagues. So they're shyer about throwing it in the zone, but we can also say coaching staff wise, they don't know how to prepare guys to face guys with who, you know, will lay off their stuff outside the zone or, or whatever, you know, like they're just not, they're not good enough at convincing their own guys to throw strikes at the very least. Right. Um, yeah. I think part of this is strategy too, right? Like, so you talk about, having a guy like there are some guys you can throw you you should be confident throwing the ball right in the strike zone even right down the middle of the plate so we saw Brady Singer in his last outing I watched in a bat of his and what was interesting was is, is Joey Gallo that's what it was Joey Gallo he's facing Joey Gallo he gets down 3-0 against Joey Gallo 
What does he do? He just starts feeding him sliders and like two seamers right down Broadway. Why would you do that? Because it's Joey Gallo. He's hitting like 190. <laughs> He's he consistently strikes out the most in the league. Like <laughs> And guess, guess what he did in that at bat? He got down 3-0, got back into the count with fastballs and sliders right down Broadway, and then struck him out. Like that's what he did. Right, right? And look at the key example of the Royals doing this in my mind is Brett Phillips in that Tampa Bay series. Yeah. Brett Phillips was hitting 154 coming into the Tampa Bay series and then walked three times in the first two games. Inexcusable. You should be throwing balls right down the middle to him if you have to. But they don't understand the strategy of like when to be more comfortable with the heart of the strike zone because there is a time for it. And they really need to understand better that you can't be walking nine hitters. You can't be walking Brett Phillips's of the world. Agreed. Agreed. And so you just gave me a great thought. So I went and I looked real quick um, since Cal. El- well, I don't know when Cal Eldred started being the pitching coach, but. I think 2018. Okay. Well, from 2019, 2020, 2021, the Royals and this year, the Royals have only not been in the bottom five in walk rate one time. And they were like, yeah, like bottom 12. (laughs) And so, and that that was the 2020, the shortened season. And so it's, it's, it's consistent. That's not a coincidence. That's a trend. Okay. That's That's a trend. Exactly. That is a trend. So. Yeah, wild yeah. stuff, man. Looking, <laughs> looking. Everybody knows it. Nobody cares. Apparently, uh, looking forward though. I mean, you, you watch the games, you know. Like, you got to know. Yeah. Uh, looking forward, Mike. What do you see as the next step for this rotation? We know that you know they're going to be a key issue going into twenty twenty three. They have about we'll call it a month and a half left to, or maybe like two months, August, September, they have two months left to sort of work on stuff. What do you see as the next step for them moving forward? So this is where I get some optimism for the rotation. And I talked about it a little bit earlier. I think Brady Singer is the guy you build around. Okay. You have the opportunity here. He looks like he's taking a step forward. Imagine if the Royals can just get one other guy from their system to take a step forward and become the level of a Brady singer. Maybe it's Daniel Lynch. Okay. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's Jonathan Bolin or I don't know, somebody else in their, their system. There's not a lot of guys to choose from. So maybe it's Drew Parrish. Maybe he comes up and shows you maybe something. It's I don't know. Sycamore. <laughs> maybe it's TJ. Probably not TJ. Sycamore, he's but a little maybe, further away, but whatever. So one guy, maybe it's Daniel. I'm hoping it's Daniel Lynch. If you can get him to that Brady where Brady Singer is right now, you're pretty much there as far as building a rotation. And here's why you feel like you have the guys in whether it's Bubich or Keller or Heasley or whatever, who can fill out that four and five spot. Now you go out and you trade for some of that young minor league hitting that you have an excess of. You go out and you trade for another top level starter. Okay. Whether, or, you know, for us, it was James Shields at that, you know, that when, when Shields came in, he was kind of the starting block. Well, now you do it the other way. You've got these guys who are two and three starters in Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch. Go out and find another guy that can match that. And your rotation's in not just a good spot. It's in a great spot. And so that's a pretty good rotation. You won't have any depth. We, we just don't have that right now. We don't have the number of guys in the high minors that are that can be effective at the major league level to have depth but you'll have a decent starting pitch starting rotation that if they can stay healthy can help you compete for a playoff spot. Right. And it doesn't have to be by trade, right? They could sign a legit yeah, starting pitcher too. because they mm-hmm. don't, they won't have other big contracts on their books. You know, Carlos Santana was making 10 and a half million. He's gone. 
you know, uh, Andrew Benintendi was making a decent amount of money because he was in his final year of arbitration. You know, they don't have a ton of large contracts. Merrifield's contract might be gone soon, hopefully. And so they won't have a lot of big contracts on their books. They can afford to go out and pay somebody $20 million a year to come in and be a starting pitcher for them for a few years. And, you know, until Bobby Wood Jr. hits free agency or something like that, you know, like they can afford to do that if they choose to do so. Or more likely, you go out and you get some guy like like Carlos Rodon did with uh, the White Sox last year, who's maybe coming off an injury but has shown in the past that they can be an elite-level starter. So you're getting him for a little cheaper on a prove-it deal, maybe like a two-year deal, and then they hit and boom, you're great. You know, you're, you, you now have a solid rotation. I'm, that's more of a Royals move in my mind. I don't think they're ever going to pay a starter that $20 million a year or whatever. Maybe they do. Who knows? But um, – yeah, something like that. Yeah, they might have teams just do not trade useful starting pitching anymore. It just doesn't happen uh, because it's just so valuable. It's too valuable that you don't have the, the the prospect package normally that could get those guys. And I don't know that the Royals have it right now either. And so, you know, trading maybe if you can, if you can find a way to do that, great. But signing is also an option. Go out there and get that. And I think you're right. It is about the rest of this. This next step for this rotation is about identifying guys who can be in that starting rotation. But I'm thinking even more about like, what shape does the rotation take? Do you remember those twins teams of the Johan Santana mm-hmm. and Francisco Liriano years? Brad Radke. Right. What they did. Brad Radke was at the beginning of that. Right. What they did was they developed pitchers to throw strikes. They essentially developed a bunch of mid and back of the rotation guys. And then they would have one or two horses like dominant pitchers. So they had Santana, they had Liriano, they had, you know, guys who were big time ace guys, but one of the big philosophical things about their team was we're going to have strike throwers. So even if, you know, you're not a great stuff guy, you're going to throw strikes and you're going to sort of, you know, be a decent mid back guy, back of the rotation guy. The Royals seem poised to do something like that. They got a lot of guys who were candidates for mid to back of the rotation guys, Bubich, Heasley, you know, even Lynch, if he doesn't ever become the next Brady Keller, really Keller is that already, you know, like they have a lot of those guys fine. Be those guys. They got singer. He's probably better than that. He's a number two, maybe at his best. Then you go out trade or sign for the guy who, you know, is needs to be your number one. That seems like the, really the model for them right now, because they just don't have the kind of advanced pitching development to get a number one, to make their own number ones. Yeah, the issue with that is those guys that you're talking about as those back of the rotation guys are not necessarily strike throwers. You know, it's not well, the same thing. They're, so what, they're not what you end up Royals. having. <laughs> yeah, what for you end up Royals, having is, is like this. Okay, this guy's a back of the rotation guy. He looks great in one start, walks the world and gets clubbed and is out in the second inning and other starts like you not, can't not have the, that. Not the twins that model twins was model. this guy's five innings every single time, you know? So yes. Yeah. Maybe, this is what maybe that means that, that those guys aren't staying now. Heasley has been a guy who can throw strikes and should, should be able to do that. You know, Keller should be able to do that. Bubich. I don't know if he'll improve that or not. We haven't really seen that consistently at the major league level, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a good idea. That, that goes back to our talk we've had on identity. What kind of pitchers are you signing and drafting? Do they have a real identity? If you're going to do that, they have to have the identity of strike thrower. Yeah. 
And that probably means getting different pitching development in, in here to make them to pump out consistent strike throwers. Cause right now they just don't have that even in the minor league level, just really bad when it comes to, you know, throwing quality strikes at the very least. The Royals start this week off in the Windy City with a three-game series against the comically underperforming Chicago White Sox, which you hate to see. Isn't that just the worst? (laughs) Um, Before heading back home for a four-game set against the also comically underperforming Boston Red Sox. There's something about teams being named after laundry. It's like leading to a mediocre baseball. I don't know what it is. That's right. Do your sock laundry. Let's go. Mike, tell us about the fighting Tony La Russa's in the Windy City. They're going to strap up their adult diaper have a few too many glasses of wine and then go driving around. <laughs> that is a joke. Okay. Drinking and driving is very serious. It's Don't laugh bad. at that. Okay? It's bad. Don't do it. Stop Don't doing do it, it, Tony La Russa. And All Tony right? La Russa especially stop doing it. Um, so the Chicago White Sox are 51 and 50. They're third in the American League Central. Not really where we thought that they would be. In that first game, we're going to see Brad Keller versus who has really been their their best guy, Michael Kopech, or as I like to think of him, Patrick Mahomes' high school nemesis. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he's a real hard thrower started in the bullpen for him last year, 3.16 ERA, a 1.21 whip. He's averages 95 on that fastball with a slider and a curveball as well. He throws the fastball a lot cause it's a good pitch at 62%, but he also walks a lot of guys. So he's the kind of pitcher. I think that this lineup actually matches up pretty well against, cause now that we have some of those young guys up, they're going to take a lot better at bats. So we may see a few walks in that game from the Royals lineup. Let's get him out of the game early. Singer will be in that next game against Lucas Giolito, a guy we've seen quite a bit of who just a couple years ago was on the Cy Young radar, but is having just a really bad year at 5.14 for the ERA and a 1.48 whip. His fastballs lost some velocity. It's only at 93 now. Uh, slider and changeup. The changeup used to be his out pitch, his go-to pitch. Um, but he's gone away from it some. It used to be like a, if you're ranking top five oh, changeups yeah. in baseball, guys used to talk about it. Uh, but he's gone away from it a little bit to lean on the slider a little bit more, and the slider is not very good. So somebody needs to have a sit down with old Lucas Giolito. And then in that last game, it's Chris Brubich versus Lance Lynn, 35 year old Lance Lynn out of Ole Miss, 6.42 ERA on Lance Lynn, 1.36 whip. He's a four-pitch guy with a fastball cutter, sorry, five pitches, slider, curveball, and changeup. He mixes it a lot, um, uses fastball and cutter the most, but he's been hurt some this year. He's been hurt some throughout his career, uh, a long career, was with the Cardinals for a really long time. So we'll see what they can give him. I think that that's lining up to be a pretty good matchup for the Royals. Yeah, so I mean, you're, talking, we'll see you're talking a stretch in that of series. What? Who's that? Who's starting that first one? Keller, Singer, Bubich is really probably the heart of their rotation at this point, right? Like, and mm-hmm. so should be able to take a and couple it, of those. And games. We're not sure if Daniel Lynch will come off for later in the week. We'll see yeah, we'll where see he's at. So after they uh, are leaving town in Chicago, I'll be actually heading to Chicago as they're sort of leaving. I think like I'm just missing a, a Chicago White Sox Royals game in Chicago. I'm going to Chicago next week. Um, so next week's episode, I'll be coming live from a hotel in in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> um, from a filthy seedy motel in chicago um but after that they'll head the royals will head back to kansas city to face the boston red sox they are 51 and 52 which is good enough for last in the al east i think they're my god that's last back. yeah that's last jeez uh, everybody else is uh, above 500 the orioles included and so that's why Mike was talking about like, oh, some teams are realizing they need to be sellers. The Boston Red Sox are one of them. Um, and so <laughs> they've been underperforming on offense and in the starting rotation. Some people thought that a lot of people thought they were going to challenge for the AL East this year. 
uh, because they had a good year last year unexpectedly. Uh, well, they sort of come back to earth this year. They have a pretty shallow lineup, a lot like the Angels do. Even the Yankees, I think, to some degree, have a little bit of a shallow lineup. they got four no. or five really good hitters and then a few eh, guys. Um, but this lineup is shallow with Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, who's hurt right now. They've been hitting pretty well. Um, but then the guys like Trevor Story, who they got in the offseason and thought was going to be really good for them. He's only got a 94 OPS plus. So he's been below Major League average this year. Bobby Dalback is not hitting. Um it's just not great for them offensively. And so also not great for them in the rotation. Some guys they were really counting on have had pretty mediocre years. Nathan Ivaldi, Nick Pavetta, they've been meh. Michael Walk has been really good for them, but he's on the 15-day IL right now. So they're coming in and they're not playing real well lately. I think everybody probably saw, if you pay attention to baseball, you probably saw this uh, comedy game that they like, they ended up losing by like, 20 runs or something. I don't know. They lost like 21 to something. They had guys in the outfield just doing this, like, where's the ball? I don't know. It was like a real circus <laughs> act in Boston there for, for, for at least a game or two. So their fan base is a little demoralized. Let's make them even more demoralized when they leave Kansas city, having lost four games to the Kansas city Royals. Let's end this week's episode the way we end every week. Mike, what do you say? Hey, why not? Routine is important. I love routine, man. I love it. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we're going to end this week like we do all the time. We're talking about something outside the world of baseball that interests us. Mike, tell us about the world, your world outside of baseball. My world's all about the end of summer, man. Um, so the end of summer transition is coming. I'm, a, uh, I'm an educator, so we're getting ready to start up with school again. I'm actually going to go to my new school for the very first time tomorrow. So and you and I are going to meet up there on Tuesday. So it's going to be a little bit wild. Uh, as we end this trend. So this is always a weird time of year for me as I'm starting up teaching, but it's also a weird time in sports because baseball is not winding down. We're getting into the playoff race, but for the Royals, a lot of times the Royals, it it's matter. been winding down for a month. And so, and so, but football season is now starting up and you and I are both gigantic football fans as well. So it's like you're trying to pay attention to what's going on in baseball, but you also have this football stuff you want to look at. The weather's starting to change. It won't change probably till closer to the end of August, but that'll start happening. And it's just a, it's always the most, I don't know, like transient is not the word I'm looking for, but the most mercurial time of year for me. It's always like it's one of the busiest and it's just so wild. August is always the wildest month for me. So you're anticipating football starting and baseball season is kind of you're looking at young guys and stuff like that. And then you're starting school and all this crazy stuff's going on. So uh, take a minute, take a deep breath because August is going to get wild. Maybe listen to some Royals Weekly or some some of those, some YouTube content yeah. from Royals Weekly. Some you know, Enya. That, that'll help you help calm you down in these tr in trying times. Um, actually my, my, just that bit outside actually meshes with yours really well. I think actually this week, um, mine is more of an idea or a concept, uh, less than like a thing. Uh, and mine is, uh, be gracious with yourself. And so a lot of times I, uh, what I do for a living is I, I work with writers, graduate writers to make their writing better. And sometimes the writers that I work with are really interested in like punishing themselves or being hard on themselves because they haven't written enough or because they think their writing isn't good enough or because, you know, one thing or another has happened and they want to punish themselves. And there, nothing good ever comes of that, I find. I also have like friends or partner, my partner or something like that, who will sometimes just be, you know, unforgiving to themselves because they did something wrong or they didn't go to the gym today or they didn't eat right today or they didn't do this or that or the other. And it's like, 
just be gracious with yourself. Show yourself some grace because whether or not you think psychologically you deserve it doesn't really matter, right? Like what matters is that being gracious with yourself is going to make you feel better. It's going to make you ultimately more productive in some way. Nobody ever like punished themselves and then really like got a lot out of it. <laughs> they were like, Oh, I, I, I'm such a piece of shit. And then they were like, Oh, and that made I me showed myself. And there. that made me go to the gym later. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't work that way. Like, if, if, if you're unhappy with yourself, if you're, if you're, if you're not treating yourself well, it's not going to, it's not, doesn't have benefits. It's not like, Oh, if I just punish myself enough, then I'll go to the gym or I'll study an extra hour or I'll, you know, I'll do that work. I was supposed I'll to put do. that McDouble down. Yeah. It, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, uh, well, be gracious with yourself, you know, tell yourself that, you know, it's okay that you did this thing today, but you needed it for mental reasons or like, you know, be, just be gracious with yourself in ways that allow you to, you know, set new goals or, you know, recommit to something later. I think, I think showing ourselves that level of grace, I think if we were honest, we, we would say, well, we would want other people to show themselves that level of grace. Why don't I, you know, like, you know, I, I have a friend who I tell her all the time, like, if you were talking to a friend and you heard them saying that about themselves, wouldn't you tell them to be more gracious with themselves? So why don't you be more gracious with yourself? Like, and so just to my friendly bit of advice from a decrepit old man who's lived through a few years on this earth, um, just be gracious with yourself, especially as we move into transition time, as we're moving back into the school yeah. year, we're moving back into whatever. Like if you're going to go to work tomorrow, Monday morning, be gracious with yourself. Also be gracious with the Royals because they're trying their best. You know, they're trying their hardest ish. ish. <laughs> I will not be gracious if they do not trade with Merrifield and Michael A. Taylor. I will be furious. We will be, we will be vicious, unforgiving. Okay. I don't have the unforgiving capacity. If they are. I don't have the capacity to be vicious, but you know, I will not be happy if they do not trade those two guys. We'll check back in next week. And hopefully we're talking about a Whit Merrifield trade and a Michael A. Taylor trade. We'll talk about the Royals and all they did this week until then be good to each other. And go Royals! 